getting in those environments around business people is a huge thing. It's basically a giant networking event where most of the people there are business people who are taking out business loans. And I go to these things and it's amazing what I learn every time. I just talk to people. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. This is your host, Dr. Michael McManus. And today we're going to talk about doctors as investors and some of the things that challenge doctors on our financial journey. I've been reading a lot of articles about this, and it's something I think about because, well, this is what the podcast is about, is kind of, although we're focused on real estate, the idea is helping educate doctors so that you can move forward and gain financial independence to where you're not stuck in your job and can be job optional. So I've kind of put some notes together here from a lot of different articles I've been reading and try and put it together into one show here. So one of the big things for docs is that we start from a different place. It's a different starting line. We look at our peers from college. Most of them will graduate from college at 22 and they'll go get a decent job and they start working and saving and investing there from the beginning. So it's a battle of compounding interest. So we're they're already investing and those investments are growing from a young age. We don't have that compound interest. We don't have that compounding leverage of our investments working for us. And for many docs, we're not even getting back to zero or back to broke until we're 40 from all of the debt that's built up. And then when you go through all these years of really kind of being broke in med school and in residency, and then you get out and you get your first job, and you see this, what looks like this first gigantic paycheck, there's a lot of pent-up demand. And it's really hard to not go out and spend some of that money. And you go to the hospital and you see, you know, there's somebody driving an Audi and a Mercedes and you're like, man, I need a nice car. And those other docs who live in big houses and you're like, I need a big house. So as soon as we get out, there's this pressure to spend and we haven't been building up and we've got a bunch of debt. So it's it's kind of a tough place to start. And if you look at, look at your friends from college, when you move out of college and you get your first job, that first job isn't a, what a doctor makes at the first job. So it doesn't look like this such a huge leap forward. And so guys don't expect such a huge change in lifestyle. And it's easier to keep that lifestyle kind of making moderate shifts forward while still investing for your future and making a plan. So I think understanding that and knowing as you go through the process, and if you're an older doc and you're talking to younger docs and medical students, that they understand that this is going to be a challenge and it's part of their plan. Because it's when we get hit by this sideways and decide it's not fair, that it makes things even tougher. Now, the solution to that catching up on the investing is doctors, once they start working, do tend to make a very good living and some make an excellent living. And so this gives you more money to invest if you manage to not spend it all to begin with. And when you can put these bigger dollars down, you can play catch up. There is a lot of ground you can make up in a short amount of time 
if you're wise with your finances. So again, I think that's making a plan when doctors are younger, if you're talking to young docs or if younger docs are listening, that you understand that when you finish residency, there's going to be all this pressure to consume and you have a plan set out for what you're going to spend and what your lifestyle is going to be and how much you're going to invest. And then it won't be so shocking. Now, the next thing that makes it tough, though, is the tax burden. When you're a high W-2 earner, you're in the highest tax brackets. And I think this got even harder for docs now that most docs are employed. When you own a business or you own a practice, there are more things available to you to move your money through a more tax-advantaged stream. Some people look at this and they call them loopholes and things like that. It's not, we've done shows on this with accountants. You know, the tax code is built for a reason and it's actually very systematic of trying to encourage people to put money into things that the government sees as benefiting the whole, the economy. Whether you agree with these or not, there's a plan behind it. As a high, as a business owner, part of what you're providing is jobs. And so that's why there's some benefits to business owners. When you're an employee, you lose those benefits. So that gets even tougher for docs when you see so much of your money go away in taxes. So the tough part here is finding good tax planning. I don't think I found good tax planners till I was over 50 and I looked and I looked and I looked. And a key thing here is you have to keep looking unless you look at your tax bill and you're happy with it. Now, some people are, they figure, you know what, I make a lot of money. It's okay that half of it is gone to the feds and the state and local and all these other things before I even get to touch it because I'm doing my part. If you feel that way, that's great. Most of us don't. I don't. I like to see that tax bill get smaller. And that requires help from professionals. So one place to start with that is your accountants and interview different accountants. And even once you have an accountant, don't be afraid to interview more accountants. Do it as a team. When you have other docs, and we'll get back to this team, if you find other docs you get along with well and you share a common mindset, spend time together deliberately looking at your finances. It's a finance club. I am in groups now that I'm blown away with how much I learn every day, even just on their Facebook feed. All of a sudden, Facebook for me is financial education because of the Facebook groups that I'm in. And these aren't just random Facebookers. They're groups that I joined that have a Facebook group as their platform to communicate. And some of the other Facebook groups, I don't know. I can't attest whether they're good or bad. But the point being is when you're in these groups, not only in some of the bigger groups, you learn from people you maybe you don't know, or even if it's just a small group of your peers, you can divvy up the learning and share the knowledge and that helps. And you can learn about different accountants, different tax planners. When you join some of these community groups like the Lions Club or the Kiwanis, or you volunteer, rub shoulders with business people, get to know bankers, have not just somebody you get a mortgage from and you're dickering over an interest rate, but that you actually have a relationship with them. They can introduce you to business people in the community. The reality is, as doctors, is we don't get any business training and any you get is small. So having friends and colleagues that you 
rub shoulders with that you can learn things from and also find out who are the good accounts, who does their tax planning will help. It'll help a lot. And sometimes, so how do you get to know these people? There's two different ways. I have these conversations with my daughter who's in college. When you have an interaction with somebody and you're hoping they can provide value, ask, how can I provide value back? And as a doctor, sometimes it's answering medical questions. That's something you bring to the conversation. And, and sometimes it's giving away what otherwise you might get paid for. But if you ask yourself, what experience do I have or what knowledge do I have that I can add value back to these people, I'm hoping will add value to me. That's how you, one way that you form those relationships. Um, the other way is often volunteering or being in community organizations where it just gives you a chance to sit in the same room and overhear conversations. Third way are paid groups, often paid masterminds. And, and I know for a lot of docs, this is really hard. And I've spent a good amount of money in masterminds, and I don't regret any of it. Do your research, get some recommendations from people, find out who's leading them. Some masterminds are more just trying to get closer access to an expert, and that's okay if you get that expert, that access. Other ones are more group involved, where the whole group is collaborating and, and forming this community knowledge base and community intelligence. So that's another place that not only are you going to receive a financial education, but you can find out about good tax planners and good lawyers because you don't have to pay 40, 50% taxes. And there are people out there that can help you lower that. This is something somebody would like to discuss more. Reach out to me and I can pass along some names and some people who may really help you. The reality is, is beyond the traditional things that will be recommended to you by your average CPA or your average tax planner, which are max out your 401k, health savings accounts, tax advantage plans for your kids' college educations. These are small things, and there are bigger things that you can do out there. Not that you shouldn't do those things, but there's more. And if that's all people have, if that's all somebody can tell you to do, keep looking because there is more out there. In the tax advantage thing, retirement plans, uh, this is something I do a lot of reading about. And there's some interesting perspectives out there because all of these tax deferred or tax advantage retirement plans can change if the government changes the law. And there are some naysayers out there who say that maybe at some point, if the government keeps spending money and our national debt crisis hits a point of real crisis, they may change how those plans work. And there's already been discussion of forcing retirement plans to own a certain amount of government debt. So it's a totally different perspective if they look at your 401k and say 50% of it needs to be in treasuries that are paying you, you know, 0% or adjusted for inflation may be negative. So that's one to think about that it's definitely find better resources. You don't have to pay that, eat those high taxes. There's a lot of things that can be done. Big one in the real estate world, it's my favorite one. If you're a doc and you have a spouse or a partner who's either stay at home or works part-time, look into the real estate professional status, learn about that. It's a way that you can take depreciation, which is typically goes against capital gains or just real estate earnings and can be applied back against W-2 income. That's definitely one to learn more about. 
all of this kind of leads into the lack of knowledge about financial planning, but the not having business expertise or business training. We spent so much time in college learning science and then learning medicine. My daughter has learned more about business in her first semester of business school in college than I learned until I was 30 years old. And sometimes we feel dumb. We don't even want to ask questions and say, you know what? I don't know anything about business. But there's the quickest way to learn is say, I don't know anything about business and find business when you'd be amazed when you talk to business people, just like doctors love to talk about what they do. Everybody loves to talk about what they do. And people look up to doctors. They're like, oh, you guys are smart. And so when you are humble enough to ask their opinion, people will tell you all kinds of things and they will love to help you out and spread their business knowledge. And the more of these business people you can be around, the more you hear what's going on on the street, what they're really doing, because it can be different than what you hear in the media or what you hear on books or bring more knowledge to the books and more perspective to it. So getting in those environments around business people is a huge thing. This is another good one that's great with your accounts or your bankers, our bank They have a Christmas party every year for everybody who's part of the private bank. And that it's basically a giant networking event where most of the people there are business people who are taking out business loans. And I go to these things and it's amazing what I learn every time. I just talk to people, you know, I don't even have an agenda when I get there, but to learn. And the resources are incredible. So beyond that, what other resources, podcasts like this, books, conferences, audiobooks. That's my big one, The Driving University. I've always got an audible book going. My family hates it. They're like, Dad, turn this off. Even if it's a 20-minute drive to the office or 10 minutes to the grocery store, that book is always going. And with that, and you can turn up the speed. That's my other one. Turn up the speed to like 1.2, 1.3, about as fast as I can tolerate it. And it depends on how fast the guys are talking on the book. But you can plow through a lot of information that way. And maybe you don't learn it the same as reading it, but I've listened to some books two or three times or along a whole string on entrepreneurship where I start hearing themes and hearing different ideas, and it builds into a whole different perspective. Books on business theory, on investing, There's no one book that's going to teach you everything. But what I found is I probably on Audible get through 30 to 50 books a year. And over time, those are the voices in my head, not the voices that you hear in in the general media or sometimes you hear in the doctor break room. Sometimes it hurts because I'm hearing people say things and I'm like, oh, that is so different than what the real heavy hitters and the players of the world are talking about. But they don't want to know my opinion in that environment. So so I, I don't give it. But that's another place. There's so much learning that can be done from books if you put them out there and do it while you're driving or on an airplane. So there's a good place to get some more information. Next, when we look at investments, accredited investor status, and it's really funny as I was reading about this and reading some different articles and some blogs, there's a lot of different things that are said about accredited investors. So accredited investor status, to invest in non-regulated investments, you have to be an accredited investor. And what that typically means, I think the current standing is you have to make 
$200,000 a year and be expected to in the future or 300 as a couple. I should know those numbers, but I don't. And basically what it is, all it's saying is you have enough money that you can lose your investment and you still have income coming in. So you're not going to end up on a government program with them supporting you. To me, that's really all the accredited investor says. Now, there's also a sophisticated investor status. And for somebody listening out there, maybe doesn't meet accredited investor status, but you want to invest in some things that require accredited investors. Sometimes you can, there's a path and I think I did a show on this and I wish I knew it off the top of my head, but you can take a test that's like an introductory test to working in financial services area. And with this, you can become a sophisticated investor and open up access to other investments. Now, the interesting thing with this accredited investor status and the things that I read is to me, I think it's interesting. A lot of the best investments aren't available to non-accredited investors. And in a way, this kind of stinks like, oh, you can only get really cool stuff over here if you already have money. It's not available to the average working Joe. The argument on the other side is that, well, a lot of these things don't go well and you lose money. Um, so we're protecting them. A lot of the things I read, they're like, oh, anything for accredited investors only is a scam. And it's easy to feel that as a doc. And I think when people are pitching things to docs, and we've talked about this before, you feel like a target and that somebody's always throwing a deal at you. Here's what I say to those. Listen to all the pitches. Find pitches. If you see private investment firms, call them and talk to their investor relations. Ask them questions. You can find things online for questions to ask private investment firms or real estate syndication firms. Right now is a great time to do that. When interest rates were low and everybody was super busy and doing a ton of de deals, and there was lots of cash available, they may not have had the resources to, to talk to everybody in the same detail. But as things get financially tighter and people get tighter with their investments, there's a lot of people working investor relations that aren't as busy and they love to be on the phone. And you can have long conversations and ask them lots of questions. And what you're going to find is you don't have to invest in one of these. And there are people who do cold calling who say, I got to make 100 calls to get three good leads to get one sale. Well, maybe we should look at our education the same way that you got to make a hundred calls before you know enough to make an investment. I think it could probably be less than a hundred. But if you do those calls and you listen, take notes, you're going to learn a ton and you're going to see patterns. And you can even do those as Zoom calls now or some other electronic media that will use an AI note taker and you don't even have to write that stuff down. It's right there for you to go back through. But it's a great way to use your accredited investor status to learn. Or you sign up on their portal. There's education stuff there. And if you really put some commitment into it and dedicate a little bit of time, and I did this for a while when I felt like my real estate investing wasn't getting where I wanted it, is I gave it a half an hour a day. I got up a half an hour early and spent a half an hour working on things. And you know, half an hour a day, six days a week, you can take Sunday off is three hours a day that you're putting into dedicated learning. And it just multiplies and pretty quick, all of a sudden, you're not the unknowledgeable investor and you're a well-educated accredited investor. So put the time into the education, 
And some of these accredited investor deals, some of the real estate syndications have higher minimum values, a minimum investments. This is another one where having a team, or if you have other docs, co-workers, friends, if you're all interested in this and you get together, this is the old investment club. One, you can learn together. You can bounce things off of each other. You're going to have a higher community knowledge than individual knowledge, but you can also invest together as you start digging into this and seeing what works. I know I learned a lot more from the deals that I was in and I saw them operating. All of a sudden, this stuff was much more real than just in a book. But if it's a $50,000 minimum investment and you got five docs, well, now it's only $10,000 a piece. Or if you have 10, it's $5,000 a piece. Now your risk comes down, but you're playing the game. So that's an, an important thing to look at also. You know, the overly trusting, and this kind of comes into mindset. Are we trusting ourselves or other people? I know that for me, when I'm making investments, I really invest in the people. And if I trust them, I don't do as much due diligence on the deal because I'm trusting the person. Now, how do you trust people? A lot of that is spending the time of getting to know them, whether it's doing deals with people you just met, going to conferences where you can talk to them, being in masterminds or other groups where you can get recommendations, or you can spend time around these people and kind of see what kind of people are they. And especially if you don't have the time to really be an expert in running a business you're going to invest in or in some sort of real estate you're going to invest in, it's the person you're investing in. And so there is a need for trust. But check yourself and go, am I jumping in too fast here? Are there any signals I'm missing? And there's some great books out there also while you're listening to your Audible books in your car on uh, body language and things that people do to help figure out if they're trustworthy or not. I think this is an important part of the homework too. These are things that people learn in business school, maybe not all of them, but that we don't see. And then what's our personal confidence level? A lot of overconfidence, underconfidence. As you come out as a doc and you're like, I'm smart, I can do this. I remember doing this when I started investing in stocks and I thought I could learn all this stuff, read a couple of books and I was good to go. I was overconfident. I didn't do well. Then I got underconfident and just gave it to financial planners. And then as the stock market ran up 20%, my stuff went up 8%. And they're like, oh no, this is part of our bigger plan. And they could never explain it very well until I realized I don't think they are all that bright and are doing all that much, but it was kind of part of the process. I think being if you're always checking your confidence level and always learning and looking back and kind of going, what do I know and what do I not know? And what's the risk involved in what I don't know? It helps you miss some bad investments. You know, and I think as we look at that confidence level is, is also making a long-term plan. When do you need this money back? Here's the great thing as being a doc is typically when you can put money in less liquid investments or you don't feel as much pressure because you're not going to need your investment money typically to live on. So you can build a longer term plan and start that ball rolling. I was always jealous of people who are really good at this because I did a little more hit and miss for a long time until like I did that and it didn't work. I did that and it didn't work. And maybe I just did a lot of things that didn't work until I reached a point that I tried enough things that I found what worked. But when you have a plan and you have a way to evaluate your plan, you're going to see much more consistent progress. 
other investments, uh, investing in businesses. This is one I've been doing a lot of research on lately, and it really came out of investing in retail real estate. And to me, initially, it seemed like this great idea. Well, if I've got some businesses that maybe I can plug into a strip center, and now I've just filled one of my vacancies, and the two will be very symbiotic. In my mind, I still love this, but this is part of having experts. Of the people in my network or business experts and the people who are real estate experts, pretty much they all say, don't mix the two. It makes you make bad decisions on one side or the other. So that's why I have to listen. I have to listen to my mentors to not go down a road that to me still seems kind of appealing. But there's what when you build that network, some of the advantages you get. Now, buying businesses, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. But what I've realized is one of the best resources, if you think one of the things you want to invest in is a business, are business brokers. Now, business brokers are people who, if somebody wants to sell their business, they go to and they will help them value it. And if somebody's buying a business, now this is their profession and it's a job, a business I didn't even know about as being a business broker until not that long ago. And they don't do a big sales pitch. And if they are, I would be concerned about them. But typically what they're going to do is walk you through a process of finding a business that's a good fit for you of what you want to do. If it's something you want to work 40 or 80 hours a week in, or if something you want to be a CEO and have a manager of, owning businesses is another place to have income. And maybe it's a part-time job running the business, or it's with a family member or with some partners. Those are good options, but there's a way to do it. There's a great book called Buy Then Build by Walter Diebel, where he kind of walks through the process of how to evaluate yourself and how to set yourself up and do your own thinking and evaluating of yourself. So when you go to a business broker, you've already kind of got your platform set up that will help them help you. So that, because a lot of docs want to buy a restaurant or buy something that they like, like a ski shop, and not that those are bad businesses, but sometimes they're tougher businesses because they look cool and having a professional help you figure out what business. The other one I hear about and I get these emails all the time, is somebody who wants a doc to invest in a startup. And these seem like stuff we know about because there'll be medical startups. They'll be in stuff you think sounds like a great project. And I recently invested in one, but as I was in the process of that, I was speaking with a true venture guy, a few people who work on the venture capital side and a guy who's a business starter. And the business starter was the interesting one because he'd started a lot of businesses and a lot of succeeded and a lot of failed. And I've heard this before and it just really helped hearing it again. And the same thing goes with like buying junior miners or drillers in the oil field that most will fail. And so the general strategy out there that uh, venture capitalists use it's a pool. And these people are the very best at, at evaluating these things. And they still use a pool that basically says, if you're going to buy one, you need to buy 10. Seven of those are going to fail. One or two of them might break even or make a little bit of money or fail really slow. And one will be the huge winner that pays for the whole show. And if you're not willing to buy all 10, you're giving yourself about a 90% chance of failure. But if you buy all 10 and you do it right, you give your chance of succeeding. So, and play in this higher risk field because 
most of these fail. I'm just passing along the advice that I got was don't play in this field unless you're going to commit to it and unless you're going to buy enough of these that you give yourself a decent chance at winning. So there are just a few thoughts on some of the things I've been reading about why doctors aren't great investors. And I've made most of these mistakes along the way. And the biggest advice I can give is find people that you can work with, peers who are interested in the same thing that you can meet and talk about these things together. You can bounce ideas off of, you can network with other professionals to put on your team, such as accountants and lawyers. So I hope this has been helpful to you. Please reach out if you have any questions. I'd love to have a conversation with you and join us again on the next episode of Surgeon Syndicate. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you found value in this episode, no other surgeons are hungry to become job optional. You can help them by sharing this content today. I also want to serve you better, so I want to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you can take a moment and leave an honest review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. And number two, if you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help. Schedule a call. We can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.